Time for Rewind to Dynamite. Hello, everybody. John Pollock and Wei Ting here with you on Wednesday night. Hello, Wei. What's up, John? Uh, lots. There's lots going on. Such as? I don't know. Very, uh, I think everyone's doing peachy today. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah, these, your day? these Wednesdays are just like going to be our political discussion day. For the next well, it'll week. continue next week. Yeah. Next week's the big inauguration, so um, I guess a uh, a safer Wednesday this week than last week. I don't know how much safer. I mean, I, I feel like it's still, um, I don't know, all the discussion. Nothing happened on. today. Uh, I mean, the man got impeached. You know, there's yeah, but that that wasn't an act of violence. That was uh, a consequence. Oh, okay, well, so. Nothing violent happened today, but something did that's happen today. That's what I said. Today. Okay. Uh, that's what I said. All right. Uh, tonight's show, we have lots to discuss. Uh, we are going to be going through a bunch of news items tonight. And then I also want to give people uh, a heads up that if they have not listened to it yet, we have the worst of show happening uh, as we speak. You can go download it if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe. And way it will be released for everybody on Thursday. Uh, Thursday, Thursday morning. So by the time most of you will listen to this, it should be on the feed right now. And also youtube.com slash post wrestling if you want to watch it. Yeah, don't forget about YouTube as well. You can go uh, listen to the show there on Thursday. We've also got an interview up on the site with uh, Deanna Perrazzo, who will be on the uh, We're, We Are Dead pay-per-view coming up this Saturday night. The We Are Dead pay-per-view. Did you miss that line tonight? Uh, I guess. Oh, that was how Tony Schiavone promoted the pay-per-view on Saturday. He said, "We, they've got a show coming up Saturday. What's it called? We Are Dead. Oh, okay. It was a nice little subtle line mm-hmm. he got. Uh, that was about the extent of the promotion of Hard to Kill on tonight's show. But we'll there, get to that later. Yeah, there was a mention during Kenny's entrance, and that was really it. Yes. Uh, so anyway, Deanna Prazo, a uh, very fun discussion talking about... Uh, her uh, being part of the releases in WWE back in April, coming into Impact, and this Saturday's match with a uh, Taya Valkyrie. She's been, I think, one of the standouts on Impact. Period uh, over the past six months. Uh, so that's a great discussion. And what else do we have coming up? Way well, also right now on the site postwrestling.com, and starting this week for free on the Up Next feed. You don't just get reviews of NXT, but you're also going to get a whole lot more in the coming weeks from our friends at the BDE for free. So right now on the feed, we have Shot in the Dark. This is John Cena's 15-minute recap every single week of not just AEW Dark, but all the other wrestling that uh, nobody really talks about. You know, uh, NXT UK, 205 Live. Uh, Get caught up in all those shows. This week, NXT UK had the debut of Ben Carter. So you can check that out. Take 15 minutes of your time and get all caught up. That is going to be for free every every Wednesday on the Up Next feed. feed so subscribe to that. Yes. Uh, John Cena also has a report up on the site from tonight's MLW Fusion. 
pretty noteworthy episode as well. So uh, that is up uh, for all of you to check out. And then later on this week, Friday, WH Park will be back with myself for Post Pro Res. We will get the the much in demand WH thoughts on Wrestle Kingdom, New Japan, Japan at large, uh, WH Park coming to uh, your ears on Friday. So keep your ears open for that one. And then Saturday night, there will be a Hard to Kill post show hosted by Davey Portman, and he will be joined by Andrew Thompson and Nate Milton. They will go through Hard to Kill, and we will see what kind of response there is for Saturday's pay-per-view. What would you say is the... What, what's the barometer, way right, of interest for this Saturday show? This is the most buzz Impact has had on them in years. Uh, what what are you expecting on Saturday? I definitely think it's died down, you know, during their break over the holidays. I mean, it was really at its maximum when Kenny made his first appearances, and then it just really slowly dwindled after that. So at this point, um, I feel like maybe um, six and a half, seven. Yeah, it's... I think it's going to be a good show on Saturday, but I, I was definitely expecting a lot more on tonight's episode beyond Justin Roberts giving you the go-home promo. Right. Anyway, so uh, all of that uh, you can check out at the site, postwrestling.com. We did mention in the schedule that uh, the Rocky Maivia Picture Show would be dropping this weekend covering Furious 7. Uh, because of scheduling issues, it will actually be released next weekend. So you'll still get Nate Milton this weekend on the Hard to Kill show, and then he'll be back the following weekend uh, to review the latest edition of Furious 7. We also the have... Latest... Yes. We also have, of course, uh, the British Wrestling Experience with our friends uh, Martin, Benno, and guest J.P. Houlihan coming out on their feed on Thursday. That's right, yes. Lots of shows to keep everybody busy. So go check out postwrestling.com for... All of the latest and postwrestlingcafe.com. Let's get into a few news items. Raw from Monday night, they did a million eight hundred and nineteen thousand viewers. This was going against the big uh, college football national championship game between Alabama and Ohio State that did eighteen point two million viewers. So it was a big football game they were going against. So they were down. 14.5% 14.5% in viewers, 19% in their demo, registering a 0.55, uh, really getting hit among women this week uh, in particular. Uh, there was a 19% drop throughout the show. So the idea of teasing Randy Orton and Triple H, it was not able to offset uh, a pretty, you know, above usual decline for Raw, especially in hour three that fell to uh, just over 1.6 million viewers. What's interesting way is that in Canada, the show did over 302,000 viewers, and this was going against uh, the number one sports program in Canada was the football game, followed by a Raptors game, and Raw was third. And I cannot recall, I I just can't remember the last time they topped 300,000 viewers. It's been a while. Um, In Canada, this, this show did better than most weeks. Interesting. What do you attribute that to? I mean, the only thing I our one in the states did very well. Um, you know, they did over two point two million viewers. I think the the first hour you definitely have to attribute it to curiosity about Drew McIntyre and addressing that uh, because that was the big news Monday afternoon. Uh, but for the overall show, which um, pointing to Canada, I mean, you you would have to think that the the tease of Triple H and Orton had something to do with it because there wasn't really anything else on the show that was promoted beyond Drew's going to address his COVID diagnosis. And 
And that was it. And Hunter was going to kick off the show. Like, that was all you had going into Monday's episode. Do you have hourly breakdowns for Canada? I don't. It's only the the overall average. Because I believe the numbers did drastically drop from the first segment, for the, from the first hour to the third hour in America. Yes, and they did. I would did. have to so, imagine that would be similar for Canada. But this, sti- I mean, it's still like averaging over 300,000 viewers for the three hours. I mean, yes, it could have dropped uh, towards that last hour, but... Nonetheless, I mean, we're comparing it to other three-hour shows where we get the overall average. I'm still impressed that not just that they were going against the football game in Canada, which is not going to have the same level of interest as uh, uh, in the U.S., but also a Raptors game, which is – that's always competition for Raw in Canada that they went against. And still, they taught, like they were not that far behind the Raptors game. So there you go. Those are the figures uh, for that. Uh, WWE has uh, officially put out their announcement for the India special that they're going to be doing, the Superstar the superstar Spectacle. It's going to be a two-hour television special. Uh, this is from the press release uh, that will feature uh, Indian talent uh, involving WWE's performers alongside superstars from Raw, SmackDown, and NXT. It's going to premiere exclusively on Sony 10.1. Sony 10.3, and Sony Max. This will be on India's Republic Day on Tuesday, January 26th, 8 p.m. local time. They have announced that there will be... They will incorporate stunning elements of traditional and contemporary Indian culture among epic matches featuring Drew McIntyre, Rey Mysterio, Charlotte Flair, AJ Styles, Bailey, The New Day, Shinsuke Nakamura, Cesaro, Dolph Ziggler, Robert Roode, Natalia, Ricochet, and many others, including an appearance by Ric Flair. This will take place from the Thunderdome, and they're set to tape this next week. And they're also promoting uh, that there will be... Uh, 10 Indian performers uh, from WWE represented on the show. Jinder Mahal, the Bollywood Boys, Indishir, Jeet Rama, Kavita Devi, Giant Zanjir, Dilshir Shanki, and Guru Raj. They will be on this show. So uh, those are kind of all the details. They'll, they said they'll be announcing the matches, um, I guess, in at some time before January 26th. Uh, I... I had heard back like in November, at least at one point, the idea was to do a tournament for this show. And at some point that that looks to have changed, that they're not doing the tournament idea. And it looks like they want to incorporate some of the main roster talent uh, from the various brands, mix it into this. So this looks to be a two hour special. Um, I was told that this has, you know, it changed Many times uh, of what they got to, but nonetheless, this is kind of their, I guess, kind of pilot of like putting out this this two hour special. And what do you think about the strategy way of utilizing the 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 more known talent and then mixing in the Indian stars as well, knowing that this will be airing in India? Uh, do, do you like this format that they've settled on? I think you have to. I mean, if you only had a show featuring Indian talent, number one, I don't know if the quality of wrestling would be that great. Number two, it simply wouldn't be WWE. You know, like uh, the the fans in in India, they watch the shows, the same shows that you and I do, and they res- they look at the people who are stars the same way as you know who you and I consider stars, and that would be the people that they treat as their champions and legends. So I, I don't think they really have much of a choice but to spark that initial interest with a lot of their current talent, and then you know. Use that to, of course, kickstart whatever perhaps bigger, longer term project they might have with their Indian talent. Yeah, I think that this is kind of just to 
put this two hour special out. It's obviously, I mean, if you go back to, you know, when Paul Levesque has outlined global localization, like India was one of the the prime areas they they mentioned. And this looks to be step one. And we will see whatever step two is. Obviously, in a perfect world, they would want to be doing this in India with a huge crowd. But that's they're obviously limited from that. I think you're right in terms of mixing in the the worldwide talent that you have. And that was a lesson they learned going to Japan where it was, you know, they want to see a WWE show. They don't want to see them alter the WWE presentation because they're watching the WWE product. I think that's, that's probably similar here. And just listing off the Indian talent that's going to be on this show. I think it would have been very hard to do a tournament with the talent that you have available. Like there's, you know, varying degrees of experienced performers that are, are represented this is probably the best bet in terms of have, making a big splash with this one special, this two-hour special. Um, they've only announced um, it's, it'll be broadcast in uh, both English and Hindi, and they've only mentioned the, the Sony platform so far. You would think that given that it's going to be – there will be commentary in English. I would imagine at some point this makes its way onto the network. I wouldn't see why not. Perhaps. Yeah. I mean it's – Hard for me to think of it as any sort of draw for people outside of India to watch, but I guess extra content that they have the rights to is extra content. Sure, why not? Yeah, and what other territories are they going to be, you know, looking to expand to? And what is the overall appetite for people? Not just, like, is this enough where it'll be sustainable among an Indian audience? Like, are you... Are you spreading yourselves thin, you know, committing to so much now? This is all going to be interesting to watch with the the long-term plan of this global localization uh, strategy. But that was the official announcement, and then it will be airing January 26th. Uh, next up, we have uh, Impact has named Matt Stryker and D'Lo Brown as the new broadcast team beginning on Saturday at Hard to Kill, and they will be the new team uh, following... Uh, hard to kill on impact each week. Josh Matthews will be, he signed a new multi-year deal and will be a senior producer behind the scenes. Uh, what are your opinions of Matt Stryker uh, back in the booth and D'Lo Brown, who we have not really, uh, this is really a, a, a new role for him. Who's a guy who's been attached to impact behind the scenes for a long, long time. Um, I guess the jury's out on, on him, but Matt Stryker is someone that we do have a, uh, a long history with. Yeah. Uh, I, I like Stryker a whole lot. I think uh, at least, you know, in comparison to perhaps, you know, like the, it really honestly could, could be a, a wide number of people, but I think the bigger story is perhaps, um, you know, I, I really feel like Josh Matthews and Madison rain were there simply because they had few other options with the type of weird, you know, perhaps uh, in you know, maybe the type of taping schedule that impact has, um, and you know, it's at the point now where people are complaining enough about the commentary team that they had to do something about it. And Stryker is almost sort of a default name that you go to in the wrestling realm, uh, you know, for people who I guess aren't currently working elsewhere. So I think he'll do, you know, a perfectly fine job. And I think D'Lo is somebody who's there, knows all the characters, knows all the storylines. I thought it was interesting that, you know, in the same press release, they made sure to let everybody know this is not any sort of demotion for Josh Matthews. In fact, it's a promotion for Josh Matthews. He gets moved up to a senior producer role. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I think it'll, it'll probably be better for the product. 
Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think we've seen the good and the bad that comes with Matt Stryker. And I think sometimes that comes down to who who he who he plays off of. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that we uh, did that Lucha Underground review. And to me, like we got to see Matt Stryker, I think, look very good in Lucha Underground with Vampiro. And then conversely, there was like the times they go to AAA and I thought it was very difficult. Uh, but Stryker and Michael Chavello, like that, they had a weird chemistry together that I, I thought worked for that one Ultima Lucha. Yeah, yeah, maybe they should bring him. M- Michael Chavello, I mean, um, I mean, uh, geographically might, might might be a bit tough, but if you could ever get him, I mean, get get him on Zoom to, to call hard to kill. I'm actually surprised like they don't have Don Callis just move into that role permanently, considering just, you know, how, how good he is, how well reviewed he is. But I imagine he's probably quite busy doing several other things during those shows. Uh, he man, there was a quote. I can't remember who it was that interviewed Don Callis. I forget it, but it was just so many of his interviews now that like he's pretty much playing this managerial character representing Kenny Omega. And dude, he just gave the best answer about uh, if he's interested in going back to New Japan to do any commentary. And he's basically just it's like, no, not really. I led them to the promised land uh, to use a biblical uh, reference. It was uh, teaching them. Instead of uh, providing them with food to eat, you teach them how to fish. I went to New Japan. I taught them how to fish. <laughs> it was just – it was a great line. Like I laughed out loud reading it. Like he's got this whole character dialed in. It was rather amusing. On the New Japan front, uh, they had a ton of announcements. We won't go through all of this. But the key ones being that on this upcoming Road to New Beginning tour, two key things – Earlier start times for most of the shows, they moved them up about a half hour and very limited matches on the cards. Um, we're talking like five matches on most shows. Uh, New Beginning in Nagoya will have five matches on January 30th, headlined by uh, Shingo versus Tanahashi, along with Will Ospreay against Satoshi Kojima, and The Great Okan versus Hiroyoshi Tenzon, which is going to be quite the test. Uh, New Beginning in Hiroshima is February 10th, six matches on that card. Headlined by Hiromu versus Shotanaka for the junior title and Gorillas of Destiny against Dangerous Techers. And then New Beginning in Hiroshima on the 11th will also have six matches. And that's the big one with Kota Ibushi and Sonata. So, yeah, it looks like, you know, limiting the amount of performers on shows and also trying to respect this uh, new curfew in place to have these shows over by, I mean, if you're starting at six, I mean, it's still going to be a race to get these done by eight o'clock but um it seems like they are at least trying to move up the start times to as early as they can do it seems like it's the best they can do right now with the curfew i mean everything changes in in, on a moment's notice there with how sensitive these things are but um trying to fit a time slot where people can get there after work to you know being able to get home right before this curfew uh hits is i imagine a really difficult task for a wrestling show but i um you know, two hours, I, I, at the very least, I think for people like you and I who aren't attending, it's it's a much more, to me, enticing watch. You know, it's much more manageable than perhaps, you know, a three-hour show. Uh, the other news coming out of this, of course, is that no Jay White will be on. Jay White is not booked on any of these shows. That's right. Yeah, he's off this tour. Um, so And who knows for how much longer. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, obviously, you know, what, what they're they're putting out there so that's uh the interesting story to watch with uh with jay white uh and then they added that the new japan cup uh they're going forward with that march 5th it's supposed to start and wraps up 
on March 21st. So nothing affecting their schedule. They're moving forward with it. But this is a crazy stretch when you look at the the three new beginning cards, uh, the 27th and 28th of February. They're doing back-to-back at Osaka Joe Hall. Then March 4th is the anniversary card at Budokan Hall. And then the next day, they start the New Japan Cup at Korakuen. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if they would have booked, you know, like this, knowing perhaps the state of the the country at the moment. But um, this this is a company that's making up for a lot of lost time. Yeah, I think that the last thing they want to do is is go dark, and I guess they're looking at it like at this period, it's it's like these restrictions in the in the various cities. It's not saying you can't do this. In fact, like you can run a show with up to five thousand people. So it's. Like it seems like it is not all that different from what we're going through in a, in Ontario right now, where it is a clamp down, but it's not to the extent that things are not going to be happening. Hmm. So there you go. That is uh, all of your pro wrestling news. The latest you can find at uh, postwrestling.com. Last thing, way uh, I don't know how much of NXT you followed tonight, uh, and we won't get into it. But Desmond Xavier and Zachary Wentz have gone through the portal that is NXT, and out have come Wes Lee. And Nash Carter. I I can't think of more WWE-ified names than something like Nash Carter. Like <laughs> that's just that feels like it comes from a meme generator. Um, something that was really great though that was brought to my attention by Chris Walder at Walder Sports, who quote tweeted the story um, that was posted in reference to the debut, and all he posted was a photo of Carter and Lee from Rush Hour. So uh, maybe maybe a reference. Maybe Could a very clever it, reference. Uh, maybe it was, yeah. Maybe that'll be their finish, the Rush Hour. That's exactly what it should be, yes. Okay, well, there you go. That may, For all we know, that could totally be the, uh, the inspiration for this. They are going as MSK, uh, and they debuted in the, uh, the Dusty Rhodes Classic tonight on NXT. But... We're here to talk about Dynamite. Uh, this was a tape show uh, from last week. They're live next week um, on January 20th. And starting things off was Eddie Kingston versus Pac. And Pac comes out and immediately sends Kingston to the floor and hits a Fosbury flop and is running Kingston into the rail. Very aggressive start. They get into this enormous chop battle into big strikes. Uh, Pac's rec- right pectoral muscle is totally red from these chops. It was nasty. Huge kicks are delivered to Kingston. Uh, Kingston gets a reprieve by hitting a suplex, but then Pac comes back with a superplex, and Eddie Kingston's selling of his lower back pain. It was like he had nerve damage shooting down his legs. The way he sold this was that he's just trying to squirm away without the utilization of his legs. He's then selling the arm and shoulder, uh, there's a DDT that gets blocked by Pack, running sit-out drop kick, and that sets him up for the Black Arrow to pin Kingston in nine minutes and thirty-four seconds. I thought this was a hell of a match. A really good, hard-hitting opening match. I'm a huge fan of Pack in ring. Um, he's just like this excellent professional wrestler that still feels really fresh to me because we've barely seen him. It feels like over the past year. So. It, you know, I know he's been around since day one in this company, but it still feels feels like he's barely like really scratched the surface of what he's able to do. It made me think of what was lost for this guy in 2020. Like you go back, mm. that guy had arguably like if you want to call like the Omega Pack match the best 
television match in dynamite history. Like it's in that mix a hundred percent. And they booked him so strong amongst all the rest of the talent that's been like, in this company. Like you just watch him in this match. It's like this guy is one of the premier talents in the world. And mm-hmm. he got robbed this past year of a, of a huge year in his prime. I think fortunately, so yeah. a tremendous match I thought here between both of them. So this was a great start to the show. We go right into well, right, right afterwards. Pack. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. Goes, Goes for the brutalizer right after the match. The arm's all messed up, so he continues the attack with the brutalizer. And then it's a standoff because the Lucha Bros are in on Pac's side and Butcher and Blade are on the other side, prompting Lance Archer with Uncle Jake to run down. And Kingston bails with the Butcher and Blade. And there's a face-off between Pac and Archer. And Archer tells him to get on the same page. And Archer leaves. You know, as much as I, I, I enjoyed these two in ring, I, I really have to say the story that this entire group has kind of been involved with, involved in between Pac and Eddie Kingston and Lance Archer is just none of it's really left much of an impression on me. You know, like they come out here and Lance Archer's like, we got to get on the same page. And I'm like, you guys were what page? Like, were you guys teaming together? And I guess they were. But it like it, it just feels so. Like, did we ever get that real connective tissue about, like, why exactly they're teaming together? Or did they just, like, show up one day and then team up together the next? Maybe there's a mysterious mastermind behind this, and it's Paige. Hangman Paige. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to say Diamond. No. Uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's an odd mix, getting Archer involved here. Um I think that they're they're really trying to like it seems like the Lucha Brothers and Pac are more of a priority now. Uh certainly with the angle we would get later with with the Lucha Bros. So I, I'm patient in seeing where this ends up at, but it it just seems like you're trying to fit a lot of different pieces here into the mix. A, a lot of it's the sporadic appearances too. You know, like you might see something with Pac one week and then he might not be around for like two weeks and then he'll come back and you're trying to like pick everything back up. So they have Lance Archer as a substitute one week. It's just, to me, it's been a little messy and definitely deserves, like, I think more promo time from somebody just to explain it all and really just more, like, more explanation and I think more cohesive storytelling. Pac and Lance Archer going out and just hanging out together. I'm all for it. They should go to Vegas. Dinner David Nair between those two. (laughs) Miro versus Chuck Taylor was next. Uh, Kip Sabian comes out with a cardboard cutout of Trent with uh, tape over his biceps and Miro gets sent to the floor and it's all Chuck Taylor at the beginning. He hits a dive and eventually Kip Sabian attacks Orange Cassidy on the floor. Taylor gets caught with a Samoan drop. Miro roars and just unloads on this guy. Thrust kick, game over. He applies it and dude, it did not feel like this man's... uh, freedom was on the line because the second this game over was applied chuck was like yeah it's over i'm done he just taps 325 they state that he will be his butler they have changed the term from young boy to butler this week and they the announcers note this is going to be a brutal month for chuck i i i guess so yeah um this did not feel like you're right like a fight with anything significant at stake and i think part of that is because it's kind of Chuck Taylor's character. He kind of does the lackadaisical thing, but I don't think it's nearly as effective as when Orange Cassidy does it. 
and to the point where you just don't really feel all that much for him when he's wrestling in these matches. Um, and overall, it's just, I think, a lame story. Like, Miro, I think are doing our worst of really kind of put a spotlight on just what I've disliked this year. And a lot of it is Miro stories in AEW. They've all been awful. I don't really think this will change that trend. Okay, what about this? We got to do something dramatic at the wedding, don't we? Yeah. So it turns out that this is all, uh, this plan goes awry. And Penelope Ford suddenly falls for somebody else. And we get the bigger wedding, the bride of Chucky. Ooh, wow. Okay, nice. She falls for <laughs> the kidnapped. You know, as long as there's a good pun at the end of it, it's worth doing. Yes. I think that's what you base everything around, mm-hmm. is what can we title our episode that night? And that's, we, we go backwards from that. It's all worth it. So we will get some vignettes uh, because this, this wedding's at beach break, correct? Did they not state that? I believe so. Yeah. That's in three weeks. Mm-hmm. So they got two weeks of vignettes to do, which is maybe all we need of, the, of this. So um, this storyline will very hin- very much be hinged upon the entertainment value you can get out of these vignettes. Um, I don't know if this it's, is it's going to be a, television. I mean, it's going to be a role for, for Chuck, you know, like with Trent gone. Like we're seeing the opposite of, I think, what WWE tends to do and shelving the tag team partner if one of the the others is injured they're actually giving chuck a spotlight here with this storyline so we'll see what he can do because i can't really say he's made that much of an impression beyond you know some some pretty good matches but as a character not much dosh is in the back with matt hardy and private party and essentially private party signed the contracts to be managed by hardy but they didn't read the fine print and i was trying to understand like I don't know if they exactly explained the line, but I think what they were trying to say is Hardy gets 30% of their money and a third of the money from their third-party platforms. Is that what they said? Because I thought on BT... I rewound it twice, and I don't think they said it very clearly, because the 30% of their money was established last week. That's what they were agreeing to. Yeah. And then he added the thing about the third-party platforms last week, and this week, I think what he said is he gets a third of that. Okay, right. Well, this, this, uh, this I believe, had some follow-up on BT as well, which I, I didn't really watch, but um, I can't tell you it was very well explained here either, um, nor very well acted on the part of Mark Quinn. It, 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 you know, he had to do the thing where he's, like, trying to go along with it, and then he had to break and say, I can't do it. Um. I don't think this is a very good storyline either. I've not enjoyed Matt Hardy with Private Party at all. I just don't think the the chemistry is there. I think Matt's various characters that he's been trying have really been largely misses rather than hits this year. Um, so, I, again, you know, prove me wrong. Maybe this one will be the difference maker. He denies being a money-grubbing carny and says, no one cares about you, and I learned that on September 5th. So he is uh, playing off of uh, his fall as the, the the day he awoke for the fans that he realized are are not rooting for him. And he says, it won't matter how much you give me. You'll be multimillionaires anyway. New Year's resolution time. The inner circle come out. Jericho says, this is the first time we've all been in the ring together in 2021, which means they were not in the ring together last week. Uh, I guess not. Yeah. <laughs> so they all take turns stating what they want this year. Jake Hager wants championships. MJF wants to strengthen the bond among these men and fat people. 
They need to go. <laughs> Ortiz is going to be perfecting his grandmother's recipe. I'm not going to take a stab at the pronunciation of this. And Jericho's resolution is to win the tag titles with MJF. And Santana takes issue with this. He said, we were, recu- re- we were recruited, me and Ortiz, to be the team of the inner circle. So Sammy Guevara accuses Chris Jericho of being a tag team slut, which if we had crowds would be the new chant for Jericho. Everyone loses their mind over this, this term that he's used on Jericho. He's teamed with MJF. He's teamed with Hager. He teamed with Guevara. And then Guevara says, what, are you going to team with Snoop Dogg next? Jericho says, listen, anyone in this group could win the tag titles. And I think we can learn from Jake Hager and Wardlow, who let out a bit of their animosity last week. So he suggests that next week we have a three-way inner circle tag match with Jericho and MJF versus Santana and Ortiz versus Sammy Hager. And when he said that, it was like, how? How did we all miss that this long? I guess they haven't really had much of a reason to be paired with one another. So, uh, but yeah, Sammy Hagar. Jericho notes how funny that name is and Guevara doesn't get it, which was great. He's a bit young. So we're going to get a three-way inner circle match next week. I, I like the premise for the match. You know, it's, uh, again, a unique way to like play with this kind of uh, inner circle you know, uh, schism that, that is always brewing beneath the, the surface here. Um, and I think it'll be a hot match. It's we'll get to the lineup next week. It's not a big lineup next week. I would say this is the biggest thing they've announced next week. Mm. So if they all put the fingers in at the end and we'll get the tag match, Alex Marvez spoke with the dark order and asked what is next for them. And evil Uno says everything that they do from now on is in honor of their leader. And next week Uh, Hangman Page will team with them as they strive to become better people. And John Silver is a complete fanboy for Hangman Page as he tries to interview him. Reynolds notes how nervous he is and asks, when are you going to decide if you'll join us? And Hangman Page will decide after next week's match. So he walks off the set, or at least we think he does. They're all reacting. And then we just see Page is just standing right off to the side as he watches this whole thing. Maybe he's, I, I think he just hangs out here now. Hang out page. Yes, hang out page. Yeah. I think he just like, he's not officially in the group, but he likes to, I don't know, sit in the same room as them. Because <laughs> I guess he has nowhere else to go now. But this, this segment was definitely a lot more um, like BTE than, you know, typically what we see of the Dark Order on Dynamite. And really, after the Brody Lee show, it's like, impossible to see these guys as anything but complete likable baby faces so i think you're seeing a more deliberate transition now they're kind of playing that this annoying but very likable you know these goofballs who um are the best part of bte most weeks i think page being a part of the whole thing adds a good level of star power to the group segment uh it's definitely going to be a tough transition for this entire team but the entire wrestling world is on this group side now. And I think everybody just wants to see more of them and wants to see them succeed and wants to see them, you know, be able to be as entertaining as they typically are on, on, on the web show. I think it's, I I really sympathize with this group because it's so difficult of 
how you go about continuing this group, but I think there are certainly ways. And I, I'm never a big fan of losing streaks in wrestling, but I think like you could actually play into this where they do struggle for a while and hangman should be the one that kind of brings them together at some point. And it's acknowledged like we are lost without our leader. And I think this could be like a longer story that in this time, like once you get to that, that unification process and they get like, a hangman page comes on board, for instance, and then you also evolve the group too. Like it's, I don't know if you can just go straight back to the comedy that they were doing on BTE seamlessly. Maybe you can get there at some point, but I think also like this group does need to take some steps forward as well. It's going to be very difficult to navigate. I don't know what the immediate answer is that you do, but I'm with you. I think all the audience wants to see this group succeed. It's just how you get there. With the way, like with the slow burn of this particular story, I, 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 I have faith that they have an end goal in mind and, you know, a big kind of crescendo for, for it all. But I mean, within AEW, like we've seen these things kind of, it can go one way or it can be completely forgotten. Uh, so I'm, I'm hoping for this group, it's, they, they see it through. Dasha interviewed Kenny Omega and Don Callis and they're with the Young Bucks. It's the big reunion. Callis keeps referring to Omega's best friends with the tag belts. I mean, everyone knew where this was going, but I thought it was kind of funny just the way they went about it. And Callis suggests that the Bucks have their own entrance tonight. We'll see you out there. And that's when Kenny and Don come out. This is where Justin Roberts does the big entrance and our lone plug for Hard to Kill was in this uh, introduction. Callis gets on the mic. He takes over for Roberts. He says the band's back together and he introduces... Your world tag team champions and Kenny Omega's best friends, the Good Brothers. And out come Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows, uh, who came out without music. And they tried to make it seem like they were not just hiding in the back. And we get a shot of the Bucks and Tony Khan watching this on monitors. And this was uh, quite the reaction. Tony was just kind of smiling and you know, Tony's involvement in this entire storyline. I, I guess you would only really be aware if you follow him online. And also if you watch impact, you're, you're not really getting the same types of appearances, the same Tony Khan character, I guess you can call it now as you, you know, do in those commercial breaks during, during impact. But you kind of had a reference to it here where Tony was just like smiling and, and being like, all right, good job. Like good shot, basically, you know, like he was kind of smirking at it. Um, this is definitely like a significant match uh, to see for the first time impact wrestlers wrestling in AEW and the first time seeing Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers team up in a, in a match before Hard to Kill. So I, I think the swerve made for a good story. I do wonder if this should have been one you could have promoted or should have promoted. You know, hey, for the first time ever, Impact Wrestlers appearing in AEW next week. The Good Brothers and Kenny Omega team up for the first time. Yeah, I th- I think, like, they're trying to be very faithful to the story here. That, like, how do you... Like, the idea is that they pulled a swerve here to get the Good Brothers on AEW. Like, they, it would not be something... AEW doesn't want anything to do with Impact. It's It's pretty much, like, out of the goodness of Tony's heart, he's letting Kenny go to Impact, but... This is this is my venue where 
they pulled a fast one on him to get the good brothers here. So I think I think they went about it in a clever way of by not promoting them, doing like the over the top, his best friends will be here, the tag champions. I think everyone kind of understood where this was going to end up. But this is the six man tag with the three of them against the Varsity Blondes and Danny Limelight. And let me just say, uh, in particular, Omega gave a ton to these guys like Pillman, Garrison and Danny Limelight. I thought they looked great here. Uh, they were here just to be bodies, but they got a lot. This was like a fun squash match, but gave the like the baby faces plenty in this match where it wasn't just getting beaten and done. Like Danny Limelight got some great sequences in there with Kenny, as did Pillman Jr. As did Griff Garrison. All three time. of them. They, yeah. they got a lot in this. Like they were out there to you know give these guys plenty of shine before they would uh, lose. Uh, Danny Limelight took the craziest Kotaro crusher I've seen. This guy did like a he- a headstand taking this Kotaro crusher. This is when Tony notes that Impact. They've got a pay per view coming up this weekend. What's it called? We are dead. I can't remember the name of it, and he never did remember the name of it. So. I will say this, like at the, I don't think we ever heard the names Rich Swan or the Motor City Machine Guns on this show. Like, if you are not aware of what's going on, there's no way they gave you any kind of attention on this pay per view on Saturday. I thought there would be a little bit more than just you know mention it in passing. I kind of feel like that says a lot about this, the 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 nature of this relationship between Impact and AEW and how far it extends. And we know it means. We can exchange some of our talents. You can have Kenny Omega and we can get the good brothers so that we could tell our little story with, you know, this bullet club thing. Uh, You guys get, you know, one of the biggest stars of professional wrestling to appear on your show for several weeks and your pay-per-view. But that's kind of it. We're not really going to promote your pay-per-views. We're really not going to mention you all that much beyond, you know, just using a couple of your guys. So, um, you know, does that does that mean we're does that cut off like the amount of other people we might see jumping ship from one show to another? Um, I wonder. Like, wouldn't wouldn't this have been the episode for a cut in with Scott Demore who has bought time on Dynamite? <laughs> that would be great, but like, yeah, the, I don't think they're in it for that reason. Like, I don't think they care. Um, I also, you know, wonder if at this point, like. People enough people would recognize a Scott Demore that might be watching AEW every single week. So the match uh, here, uh, Danny Limelight did a springboard into a head scissors on Omega, uh, hit a giant jump up in Seguri. Then Garrison holds up Anderson for a blockbuster by Pillman. Garrison misses a big splash in the corner. He's beaten down three on one, avoids the gun stun, tags in Limelight, who gets hit with a spine buster and eventually falls to the magic killer. But I I thought they did a lot here for uh, Danny Limelight and the Varsity Blondes. I thought they looked really good here in in losing to Omega and the Good Brothers. It was a good match. I really like heel Kenny teaming with the Good Brothers. To me, it's like a better version of the OC or or like the, the Balor Club or whatever they called those things. Like, you know, it's it's sort of a template. You put the, the two bald guys with your main eventer workhorse uh, and typically visually it works out really well uh, for all of them. But with Kenny in the mix and with them being in a company like AEW, they're free to wrestle the style that they want. These matches have a much faster pace and energy than sort of your cookie cutter template tag matches you get on Raw or SmackDown. They did like this three-way splash in the in a commercial break where they just like jumped like they stacked on each other to to jump on one of the one of the jobbers. 
uh, that was just so simple and so crude that I absolutely loved. We got um, a bowling shoe ugly line out of JR in the, during that spot. I, I think it's a great spot. Um, but it was a fun match. And I thought all three, like everybody here looked really good uh, in, in a match like this. And I like the, the fact that they, they're probably going to, I guess, call themselves the elite from this point forward. Uh, kind of makes sense because you're not going to be able to call them the Bullet Club. But calling themselves the elite while simultaneously breaking Kenny up with the Bucks at the same time, I think that works in several uh, several directions. Maybe Kenny's trademarked it behind their back. Ooh, that's a <laughs> that would be a great angle. John Moxley's music plays, and he enters through the arena, and he attacks all three, Omega and the Good Brothers. And then the Lucha Brothers run out as backup for Moxley. Omega and Moxley uh, pair off in the ring. Moxley, in this whole uh, brawl, shoves down a referee, and then another guy trying to break it up gets hit with a paradigm shift. I'm fairly certain that that'll get, get there will be some attention paid to that in the future. The Young Bucks come out at the end, and they're trying to calm Moxley down. As in what? Like, he gets... I don't think suspended? they would do a, a ref sh- a, a spot with a ref like that where it's not going to result in like some fine or something. I, th- I think Tony Khan did tweet John Moxley. I didn't see anything. So, oh, so he's turning he, a blind eye to this. I I think so. Yeah. Oh, okay. His monitor went out. Yes. Um. Well, maybe it will it will go unnoticed then. Uh, the Lucha Brothers st- are hidden behind the Bucks, and they lay them out with double super kicks, and then Omega bails with Don Callis, while Gallows and Anderson are still in the ring getting pummeled. Uh, so you set up so many different matches from this post-match attack. The big one is Moxley and Omega down the road, but it looks like Lucha Brothers and Young Bucks were revisiting. There's the obvious six-man that you can do at some point here. Uh, they introduced a lot in this couple of minutes after the match the battle of the goods the brothers oh my versus, god the brothers yeah. versus jonathan yeah <laughs> a, a lot of directions here any combination of the people in this segment would make for a good fresh match and i suddenly like even want to see lucha brothers versus the good brothers uh i want to see a three-way between those two and the bucks it it just uh it you know I would just take the Lucha Brothers out of this whatever Kingston thing that they've got going on and just move them to this for good because I, I, I'm much more interested in this. Any chance we see the Bucks on the pay-per-view Saturday? There's definitely a chance, but now storyline, why? Why would they? Because what? They're still technically friends, but they should be pissed off after this, shouldn't they? They come in, they... I mean, they could, they could somehow, they could back up the like the machine guns and Swan. And and help but, them, but they should be pissed off at the the machine guns after this. No, sorry, the Motor City machine guns. They oh, those. Help oh, sorry. Them. Yeah, we have multiple right. machine guns yeah, yeah. <laughs> represented on Saturday. It is hard to kill though with a machine gun, um, right? Because I think naturally, like if you're looking at this of like any kind of interpromotional uh, match, doing the Bucks and the Motor City machine guns, uh, that would be a natural one to do, and I could see that being uh, a surprise they do Saturday, given the storyline. Well, that's the thing. How far does this crossover extend, you know, at this point? Um, I I wonder. I wonder. And I also wonder if, like, you know, especially, like, now having one person join another show it's kind of, is kind of one thing. Having uh, several members. Like, is this now the best time to cross over rosters is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. You could argue it's uh, – are you talking just from a safety standpoint? Yes. Yeah. That, that's certainly an argument of, you know – 
do you want to be doing that and mixing locker rooms and stuff? And as well, it's like the idea of doing something like that, the buck showing up at an impact pay-per-view to silence. You know what I mean? It's like, it is what it is, but Mm -hmm. anyway, it'll be interesting. Yeah. They don't even do the sweetening. No, they, it's silence. Yeah. After the break. Hey, by the way, can they finally reveal who attacked Mox during that contract signing? Like, I feel like it's supposed to be the Good Brothers, but just just tell us. You know, did we, like, did everybody forget that loose end? Yeah, you got to explain that one. Yeah. That'll probably get buried in a, uh, like, a Road 2 special or something. Okay, then we go to the waiting room. Rebel introduces Dr. Britt Baker, and Britt comes out, jokes that everyone can check under their seats. We go to the, the geeks who all look under their seat. There's nothing. She plugs the Go Big Show. She's unsure how Cody got this gig with three celebrity judges um, and asks, who is your guy, Cody? Is it Sting, Shaq, or Snoop? Just make a good choice, unlike the one on your neck. And out comes Cody, uh, fresh off his victory at the Masters, and they light these sparklers to meet his contractual demands of pyro. I thought it was bad last week. Hearing it a second time, the Snoop remix of his theme, it's brutal. Yeah, I just... It just so doesn't fit him. It's just... I got it from last last week. Okay, Snoop was there. You do it once. I hope this is not something where it's going to be a a long marriage between this song and Cody. I suppose if you have Snoop go through the trouble of, like, making this song, and I'm sure they paid a good amount of money for it, too. Like, you should probably play it for more than one week, but... Man, it's like, I could see them playing it for a month, but beyond that, it's like, it's just, I don't think it's a good fit. How long would you use a song that I gave you that I, I did the lyrics for? Like, how, how good of a friend are you, Wade? Like, how many <laughs> weeks would that give you before your credibility would be in question? And you'd have to say, listen, Pollock, this is just, um, it's just not working out for me. Um, well, listen, thanks. If, it's, if it's anything like your last hit, I, I would probably use it forever. Well, that's, that's a great answer. The segment continues because Baker, uh, first of all, jokes about how Cody's baby is going to have an action figure before she does. Cody doesn't say a word at this point. He's just looking around. He just looks like he's walked onto the wrong set is his demeanor. Baker has another guest. It's Jade Cargill. And she comes out and says, no one gives a damn that Brandy's pregnant. Me and Shaq are tired of waiting she wants an opponent because I am a badass mom. And if Brandy ever returns, I'm going to beat that ass. And then she pie faces Cody and then in walks Red Velvet, who, to the credit of the announcers, did identify because I would imagine 80% of the people watching Dynamite probably didn't know who this was. So they did name her. They trade slaps and fight. It's the big Jerry Springer pull apart. Then it just, like, I thought the tape skipped because we go to this Thunder Rosa promo and I didn't know what was going on. First, you went to a, a recap of Britt Baker attacking Thunder Rosa from weeks ago. Just and out of could, nowhere. Yeah, like, they cut right to it to the point where you thought, man, like, did did Britt Baker, like, change clothes, like, and we didn't see? But it was her, I guess, reaching for her cell phone and, like, airplaying it. She brought out uh, the phone and, yeah, I guess... <laughs> 
had the recap on her. Phone. She had a Chrome Chromecast like, like set up Dropbox to the that segment to herself. <laughs> I don't know. It for, was very confusing, and it was happening too way too much happening at the same time. Let's discuss the waiting room first. Number one, like AEW, they know what their audience is, and it's why they stay in the ring for about ninety percent of the show. I am not opposed to segments like this where you are doing talking segments, uh, but this to me, this particular segment. I'm very curious to see how this quarter does. If this was a turnoff to the audience or it was one where there was like it was so weird for the tone of AEW. Uh, You did have Cody there. So you had a star part of this segment. But I thought execution wise, this is everything people don't want out of AEW. Well, if you tuned in for Cody, I think you would have been really disappointed by the end of it because he was basically a bait and switch here. He had really no reason to be in this segment. This was... I suppose a way to like transition Jade Cargill from Cody to and align Red Velvet with Cody. She is like the new stand-in. Oh, is she? Is she aligned? Okay. Well, I I mean, that was the whole thing here. Was like you know, it was going to be Cody and Brandy in this feud, and now it looks like it'll be either Cody and Red Velvet at some point, or Mm. Red Velvet taking on Jade Cargill first. Like I think that was the whole point of this was to introduce Red Velvet to the mix. But Mm, I just thought like this was a segment that. It's the things I don't want out of AEW. They've been very careful about limiting non-wrestling segments on the show. Almost to to me, I think to a fault. Like it's always like bell to bell to bell. Uh, like it's 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 great, but man, if you're a reviewer watching it, it's a nightmare to try to take notes for. But uh, nonetheless, it's you know they they they're very careful about it. But uh, a segment like this, they've had weeks to workshop on on uh, dark. Um, I have to say, like, this week... And had one of the best segments, I would say, that AEW... Like, a non-wrestling segment, that Daniels and Kazarian... If that was this segment, there's zero complaints. Like, zero Mm -hmm. that... You can do stuff out of the ring, and it's fantastic. Like, it's not that. So, so in the end, like, that comes down to, you know, how great Daniels and Kaz were, right? For that segment. But, you know, for this, it's like... I thought there were elements of, like, you know, cleverness here. I like some of uh, uh, Britt Baker's lines about Mm -hmm. the neck tattoo and everything... But I felt like they were, first of all, um, I think trying to cram too much comedy in. It was just like joke, joke, joke without that much time to breathe. And then that big transition from the Jade Cargill business to the Thunder Rosa stuff, I just thought was I had completely whiplash. confusing. Completely confusing for anybody watching it. I thought it took away the focus in a bad way from Cargill and Velvet. And to me i don't think did any favors for for rosa and baker either it was just almost too much happening at once by the end it didn't feel like any of it connected yeah they crammed way too much into this uh they show footage of the attack on thunder rosa a few weeks ago and then thunder rosa has her response promo from home saying that she's going to wrestle baker the match is a big deal so big that it will happen in three weeks at beach break on february 3rd she's gonna beat baker's ass and Baker freaks out. She says the match isn't happening. But then the graphic appears on the screen that thus makes it official with the wave of a wand. And to me, it was like this This did not have to be crammed into this segment. I just thought it was um, just jarring to go from one one angle to the other. Very TNA back in the day where they would shoot one thing, boom, onto the next thing. And we pile five angles on top of each other in 20 minutes and you don't remember anything. Yeah. So there you go. Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt versus FTR. I really got into this. I thought this was like a classic like... Uh, a match that you would have saw it was seen on like TBS in like 1985. It was just the undersized 
baby faces against FTR. And dude, there is so much cool stuff you can do with Marco Stunt. Completely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm still honestly amazed that there's any sort of like criticism about the fact that this guy is in this company and being put in matches with, you know, bigger size men. Cause I just, I just think like, number one, the dude is tremendously talented. Number two, like the, the possibility of storytelling, I think is so great when you have that disparity in size. I mean, like Rey Mysterio, I'm not saying this guy's as, as, as talented as, as Rey Mysterio, but I think he's pretty damn good. And like, I was certainly really entertained and really impressed by him in this match. Especially like with, with two guys, the style of uh, Harwood and Wheeler. There's I such, just thought there's such great matches for any of these high flyers, like FTR exactly. as a contrast. Totally, yeah, yeah. And and I thought I said last week, like I thought that this this would really turn out well, and it, and it did. Um, we just had you know a lot of it was focusing on on stunt trying to overcome FTR and showcasing a lot of his high flying. There's a gory special by Wheeler where I thought Marco Stunt was going to snap in two on his back. He's able to get out with a sunset flip. Rolls to tag in Jungle Boy, who looks like Andre the Giant next to Marco Stunt. He is fighting both men, super kicks Harwood, uh, drops Stunt with an assisted senton, but then Harwood stops a slice bread, the elbow pad comes off, and he hits the lariat onto Marco Stunt. Like, just that, that taking the elbow pad off, I thought was a cool add-on. Marco ends up on like, the logically, floor. Logically, why, why does that make, make it a tougher... Like dude, the bo- bone, man. Like there's no, there's no cushion. So if I put an elbow, it's like a bare, it's like a bare knuckle hitting you in the in the face versus a glove. Fine. Let's say I put a, an elbow pad on a baseball bat. Would that make the baseball bat any less devastating? What if, if I hit you, you had with to it? take a baseball bat to the leg? Would you want uh, a padding on it or the wood? <laughs> The padding on it or the wood? Well, if the pad was as thin as an elbow pad, I don't think it would make much difference. I think they'd both be shitty. It's still a bat. I'd be like, put, put the put, put the fucking pad. inch of padding on it. I'll, okay. I'll take that instead. I, like, I just love the wrestling logic. That's all. Okay, let's get to the finish because this could lead to my match of the year in 2021. Marco is on the floor and that fucking sneak, Tully Blanchard, shoves this guy into the post and Jungle Boy gets distracted by this, nailed by Cash Wheeler with a lariat, and is sent into the rail, and they hit the big rig on Stunt, which they have renamed from the Goodnight Express uh, in honor of Brody Lee, and they pin Marco Stunt. Please give me Marco Stunt versus Tully Blanchard this year, and give me like three weeks of Tully promos leading up to it. I will be so happy. I would love to see that. Um, sadly, I just, I don't know if tell, like any of the these Legends days of like, you know, being billed in a proper match. I don't think they're going to come back, but. Uh, I want to see it. Wait. That would be great. Yeah. I really like Marco's done here. I mean, first of all, I think the story they set up last week uh, with him wanting to prove FTR wrong. So he took him, he took Luchasaurus out and put himself in here. It played out really well in this match. You had a far more aggressive, serious Marco stunt. He looked really good. FTR, as we mentioned, like has great chemistry with these guys. I really like the positioning of Marco and Jungle Boy sort of as like, you know, the handicap version of, of Jurassic Express because it allows you to tell like these longer term stories with the heels being able to comp- able to completely bully this undersized team. And then you have the big brother come in for revenge. So this was a lot of fun. Seriously, between the matches that we're about to review, the two title matches, this one, uh, we can go back to the six-man tag with uh, Varsity Blondes and Danny Limelight. How many people on this show got over even in losing? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like in this next one with with like Ty Conti, like th- this was Ty Conti's best performance. See, I'm just thinking back to all the people, all the baby faces who lost on Monday, and um, why they didn't get over more. Like you had Matt Riddle lose such a hard fought victory to Bobby Lashley, and then I he- can't beat you. You're way too tough. I agree. I acknowledge that. So but cha- you, I might have a chance with. He challenged his manager instead. You had Jeff Hardy unable to beat Jackson Riker, so he challenged the shittier guy in Elias instead. Um, so yeah, I just I don't know how. I don't know why one works and one doesn't. We should also mention uh, Jungle Boy came out to Tarzan Boy here by they Got Baltimore. the rights to it. That's yeah, right. which Tony Khan said he paid the rights for. And I think whatever he paid, it's totally worth it. To me, this is a case where a song can really help get a guy over. It's a song that tells you exactly exactly what type of this character, character this is. It leaves an impression. And uh, yeah, it shows that he has a great deal of confidence in his future. NWA women's title match, Serena Deeb defending against Ty Conti. Conti came out with Anna Jay and the Dark Order. Uh, at the beginning, Deeb traps the arms going for a cover, and then it's Conti going for a heel hook and then a calf slicer. Uh, Conti lands uh, her brogue pump kick, and then Deeb falls to the floor. We go through the break. Conti had this full Nelson and turned it into a stunner, and then tries a full Nelson with her leg, and that's countered into a stretch muffler. Gets to the rope, the Serenity Lock gets blocked, and then Ty Conti goes for the Ty KO, but it's stopped, and Deeb hits the Detox and pins Ty Conti. No, 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 no. the Deeb Detox. Oh, Jesus. So, these are some really bad names. And I know, yeah. like, listen, like, a wrestler's finishing na- move is like carte blanche for like the craziest puns you can think of, but man, having to type Deeb Tox just makes me feel sick. I, I missed Deep Talks. I was still engrossed with Ty KO. Ty KO is not much better either. Um, I thought the match was good. The announcers were really trying to put this over as like this incredible match. I, I wouldn't go that far. But I thought for Ty Conti, I thought that she had uh, – this was a very good performance for her of where she was uh, at the tail end of NXT versus you know uh, the few times that we've got to see her on Dynamite. Like I thought this was like a perfectly acceptable match. I, I really enjoyed the match, and I think you know at least a big part of that is because it, it greatly exceeded my expectations, especially for Ty Conti. This was like her big first singles match, first big singles match on Dynamite, and she did exceptionally well. I thought uh, showed off a unique style. All her stuff looked good. Deeb to me has had a great comeback here, and. I'm, I almost feel like we, we completely like dropped the ball and not at least mentioning her for most improved. She, to me, has quietly been like a really bright spot in this women's division. And these two went really fast and very technical. And I thought it like, created a, a pretty exciting match. The Deeb talks. Afterward, did you see Road 2 for no. this match? It was very good, the buildup for, for this, as was uh, the Alan Cage stuff, which they did show some highlights of on tonight's show. And afterwards, it was Anna Jay holding on to Ty Conti's hand and kind of giving Deeb the stare. So I could see that being uh, the next women's title match for the NWA title. Next week, we have the Inner Circle three-way tag. Matt Seidel and Top Flight against Matt Hardy and Private Party. Hangman Page... Colt Cabana, John Silver, and Alex Reynolds against TH2, Luther, and Serpentico. And this is billed as Negative One's birthday party bash. Cool. Uh, we'll get an update from Miro with Chuck Taylor. Layla Hirsch versus Nyla Rose and John Moxley in action. So I would say the big things are really the 
Hangman Page, I guess, teaming with the Dark Order. But the real big thing is the Inner Circle three-way tag. Like this, this we'll see if they announce more over the next week as I, they are. They usually do. I think with the inauguration, they know they're gonna like That's next week's a wash. You know, uh, main event. This was a massacre. Darby Allen versus Brian Cage for the TNT Championship. Taz is out on commentary uh, because Tony Khan is only allowing two members in Cage's corner, and it's Ricky Starks and Hook. Hook, yes. Does that mean Hook outranks Powerhouse Hobbs? Yeah, I don't know if it's... Maybe, I don't know. I mean, he is the man's son. Uh, I also wonder what was behind that, like... Could it be that they're just saving Hobbs for like a bigger appearance down the road or maybe even a possibly a challenge to Allen later? Or did they just maybe not want the visual of like too many of their guys next ringside? I mean, it's I'm just looking at the way they did the finish with Sting and maybe it would have looked a little too ludicrous if Sting is out mm. there and either takes out both of them or Hobbs is just standing there as Starks gets attacked. Sure. Right. So it's pretty much a 10-7 round for Brian Cage, the first eight minutes of this match. Allen tries a tope suicida. He is caught on the floor and suplexed. Then in the ring, he is military pressed by Cage over the top through a table on the floor. Uh, He comes up bleeding, and Cage just annihilated this guy. He lifted him up for a vertical suplex, walks up the steps onto the stage, and then dumps him into the ring. At this point... The announcers are talking about Paul Turner stopping the match. Taz asks, who the hell is Paul Turner? And is informed that is the referee who has been with this company since the very beginning. Ricky Starks, uh, or sorry, uh, Ricky Starks is watching on. Allen kicks out at one. So Cage gives him three consecutive power bombs and Allen gives him the middle finger. This had to be the most middle fingers we got on an episode of Dynamite between the inner circle altogether, the middle fingers during the waiting room that I believe we got. Uh, this, there were probably others as well, but I think this was the most. You might have to go back to like an Attitude Era Austin McMahon show for more um, middle fingers per minute. Then Darby is powerbombed onto the stage, and after uh, 23 years nearly, uh, Jim Ross busted out. Will somebody stop the damn match? Allen starts to fight back when Cage puts the steel steps into the middle of the floor. Allen is able to escape. He bites Cage's hand and Cage falls onto the steps. So Darby hits a coffin drop to Cage on the steps. Then he takes off his belt, rotates into a stunner and ties Cage's legs together with the belt, followed by a code red. Uh, Brian is able to unhook the belt and then hook distracts the referee. Starks crotches Darby. The lights go out. Sting appears attacking Starks with the baseball bat. And then Allen, who is perched onto the shoulders of Cage on the turnbuckle, is able to elbow him into a crucifix bomb and catches Brian Cage with the pinfall, which is his first pinfall loss in AEW. We oh, is that stop- right? okay. We had the stoppage with John Moxley, and that was his only loss. So. Wow. That's how this ended, 1242, and then uh, Cage and Team Taz all reacted in the snow. They get snowed on every week, and then Sting was in the ring with Darby Allen to end this. I mean, this was just a brutal match where Darby just got destroyed. A really fantastic David Goliath story, and I'm watching this, and I'm watching this beating this Darby Allen is taken, and I'm almost thinking this is like, this, this reminds me of Awesome Tanaka. 
You know, thankfully, like, no one protected chair shots in this one, but the big man, little man chemistry between these two, I think, is almost as strong. Cage is just so much fun to watch, tossing these little guys around, and Darby is exactly the type of little guy you want to see come back after being tossed around. Both were just so excellent here. Great spots, all of them memorable. Great comebacks from Allen. My only nitpick is the belt spot in the middle. Like, how how does a referee you know, let him, let somebody wrap somebody up with the belt and then not admonish him. Like I, I, I think that part I needed, you know, Paul Turner to be distracted or something for me to buy, but that's a very small thing. I thought the rest was very entertaining. I thought Ricky Starks was awesome being cheerleader on the floor. He was a lot of fun to watch. And even the sting lights out thing, it, to me, even though it's getting old, I thought it was used pretty effectively here. How would you say the Alliance is working in terms of like, obviously, this is being designed for Darby's benefit using Sting. How do you think they're achieving it's, that? It's working out great. Like, I, I love the idea of putting Sting and Darby together. I just think you are definitely overdoing Sting lights out, coming out, and not really doing a whole lot. This week, it was like, you know, he had a purpose, did something. But they got to come up with a bit more for the two of them. Like, than just this non-talking show up and, you know, be emo type of thing. It's like... There's, you have to evolve the relationship a little, I think. You think they'll dive off a bridge together? <laughs> I, I don't think Sting will be doing that. Go hang out with Steve-O? Steve-O uh, with Steve B? Steve B, yeah, wow. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so. I don't know what uh, father and son do for future stuff. I mean, you're very limited with Sting, like what you can do with them. It's like, I don't know how much more creative you can get in this live setting. Well, about like a... Like a face painting session, you know, face paint tips. Oh, great. Um, he can be Dexter Loomis. Painting tips, yeah. Yeah, they, well, they paint together. Yeah. I'm sure there's uh, like a big well, WhatsApp group of all the face painters in wrestling. Well, uh, that concluded Dynamite. It went off the air with Sting and Darby in the ring together. I would say wrestling-wise, there was a very good wrestling on this show. I think that was the high point. I would say the waiting room was a big miss, that segment for me. I would say that would be the low point of the show. But I've got to say, I really enjoyed that Eddie Kingston pack match right off right off the bat. Like, the wrestling was very good on the show tonight. I liked the main event a whole lot. I thought the NWA women's match was good. Kenny and the Good Brothers versus Varsity Blondes and Limelight was good. Jurassic FT- Express and FTR. Yeah, so the wrestling was very good. But, yeah, the bad segments, unfortunately, were the, the waiting room. Uh I'm not in love with whatever they're doing with Matt Hardy and Private Party, but overall, like a good show. Yeah, it was uh, a show where I think we will get a more, uh, more reflective number on Thursday about kind of where AEW is at now, coming out of the holidays and everything that happened last week that you had to throw away. Um, and you're right, next week. I mean, the inauguration is happening during the day, but I think this is going to be one where. Um, Next week's going to be a very tough week because I'm sure there's going to be heightened interest in terms of whatever goes down on on Wednesday. So uh, that is next week, a live show for AEW. And I guess we can get people's feedback now and see what they thought of Dynamite as we go to the forum. And tonight's show generated a 7.67 out of 10. All right. Uh, Do you want to start, John? Sure. Andy writes from London. I thought tonight was a really good episode of Dynamite, jam-packed from start to finish. I listened to your Worst of Show last night, and remembering some of the awful stuff to come from Raw last year, it really is a huge shame that more people are watching Raw than Dynamite at the moment. Uh, Well, that's not changing uh, anytime soon. 
I thought the women were great tonight. Deeb versus Conti was a really entertaining technical exhibition, and although it was a little bit of a messy segment, I love Britt Baker and was laughing out loud at the waiting room. I'm really excited for when Jade Cargill makes her debut. She looks like a monster standing up against Red Velvet. Do you have any insight as to how much in-ring experience she has? I'm hoping she can live up to the hype uh, they've given her. I mean, she's been very prominent on AEW Dark, and clearly they have that that confidence in her that they're putting her into this spot. And, you know, that... That crew that is trained under QT Marshall, it's had a pretty good track record. So I, I would be optimistic here um, in terms of how they structure this as well. Um, uh, you know, Jade Cargill is a tremendous athlete. Uh, so I don't know if you put them right off the bat in a, in a singles uh, match or you build to some kind of tag. Um, there's different ways you can go, but obviously that's the direction. We got a Jesse from Montreal who says she's still rough around the edges, but I see a lot of potential in Ty Conti. I know the BDE boys were sad to see her leave NXT. Personally, I would have her on TV squashing enhancement talent every other week, executing judo throws and tapping out her opponents with a variety of BJJ holds. But for her to improve in ring, it makes sense to put her against veterans like Serena Deeb. I definitely want to see more matches like tonight. What do you think of Conti? Excuse me. That's, uh, yeah, she, she's not. She's nothing to sneeze over. She's <laughs> a real threat. Um, I think that's pretty accurate. I don't think you know she's only been doing this a few years, and it's not like she's been doing this. Like, look, look at this past year. You only are going to get so many matches in uh, in this current environment. So, I think she's made a lot of strides over the last year. She has that foundation. It's sometimes having that background, it can be limiting unless you can find a way to naturally. Uh, weave it into your style and i think she's getting there i mean she's hardly a finished product but it's it's just getting more match time i think she's got i think she's got a great great personality i think that came out on the road to special this week and tonight was like one of her better matches i think so it's like it's a long-term project but one that you know she certainly seems like someone that i I would want to have on my roster if i'm building a women's division i like her a lot too i think already in this division it's like she she at least to me seems like she's got a unique style she's uh she looked good tonight so i definitely want to see more of her like AEW has several of these roster members who i feel like have like these good one-off performances and then it's either just the follow-up that doesn't hit or just a lack of long-term storyline for a lot of these these uh these members of that that particular division that i'm a little disappointed at you know, like a name like Abaddon, I wonder if we'll see again for weeks or months, you know, after that, that program last week with Sheeta. Uh, anyway, uh, let's let's move on here. Aaron from Brampton. Brian Cage needed this win more than Darby, in my opinion. Him and Team Taz seem to lose every big match. They almost feel like retribution when they kept getting beat up by the Hurt Business. Also, in no way do I believe Darby is the future of any wrestling company. Besides that, I love the Cody Britt interview and the Inner Circle promo. With Jericho admitting he tested positive for COVID in September, do you guys believe AEW has some explaining to do? Their timeline in September shows that he wrestled every show or taping with only getting 13 days off at most. This means there's a chance he could have wrestled while knowing he had COVID. Uh, I I don't buy into any kind of theory for a second that if they were aware of someone having COVID, that they are putting them out there. I think that that's just, I, I just don't buy that at all. And I think if you look in the thread with um, Alex Patel about like the timelines of, of such, like it's it's possible that he he could have uh, been off and 
and it went through. So I believe Alex said in the thread that uh, if you are sick with COVID, you have like certain places. It depends where I suppose or how severe your your illness is, I guess. But he says most places are what ten days, but he's seen as low as seven days quarantine and as much as fourteen days. I know in Pauline's hospital it's fourteen days. Yeah, so it's like listen, no company is sending someone out there with a positive test. Like that's just insane. So it's like I, I think you're really reaching to look look for some conspiracy theory. All right, we got a note from Vaughn who says, "Good episode of Dynamite tonight. The highlights for me were the Pack Kingston NWA title match and main event matches and the Inner Circle segment, which were really entertaining. I thought Ty Conti really shined tonight in her first singles match in AEW. It's so impressive to see how much she's improved since leaving WWE. Found it a bit curious why they had a brawl in the back to back brawls in back to back segments." So since this was a tape show, they could have just stuck a match in between those two brawl segments. Uh, which, which brawls? What the? Oh, I think I think she means the Britt Baker thing. Yeah. Uh, one was a recap of a previous attack, which it was just as confusing as I think reading it. Reading you recap it, Noah. I, I think uh, I think to talk about like they did the pull apart after the whole uh, Moxley run in after the. Six man, and then we went into the pull apart in the waiting room. Okay, all right. So they could have stuck a match in between the two brawl segments. I don't I think don't, that makes a difference. That's not a huge thing. Uh, Kate writes. I found there was a lot to like about this show, but probably my favorite thing about it was that you can really see signs that the women's division is turning a corner. For the handful of us who really enjoy AEW Dark, it's been obvious that they've been building. And I'm hopeful that we're going to see the results of that on the big stage. Not a problem yet, but something I feel they need to keep an eye on is that Brian Cage, Lance Archer, and Eddie Kingston need to get some solid wins. I don't want to see any of them become high-tier jobbers, and I feel like it's a danger. Again, like, with Brian Cage, like, they did emphasize that, and maybe that's something that, like, it just hasn't been hit hard enough in the lead-up to this, that this was a guy, like, they showed his record. Like, the Moxley title match that's his only loss that he's had before tonight so and this was like the first pinfall loss so it was you know maybe they should have made a bigger deal of that in the lead up to this uh explaining like how is darby gonna conquer this guy he's never been pinned or submitted before and he outweighs this guy by 100 pounds we got a muggin who says the kenny omega story took another step as dynamite pulled a clever bait and switch by having the good brothers instead of the young bucks for the six-man tag, which could lead to friction. Sammy Guevara calling Jericho a tag team slut was a big step forward in the inner circle implosion. I hope Ortiz and Santana get to be used more prominently. The waiting room segment was a little hectic, but Jade Cargill is showing good poise on the mic. I hope that she looks like Storm... It helps that she looks like Storm stepping out of a comic panel. The Dark Order is getting closer to turning babyface with Paige as a possible new leader. The TNT title match was fun, and Deeb Conti was a good outing for both women. I'd say Dark Order already viewed as baby faces now. Like, yeah, whether a turn has been executed on TV or not, that's how they're received. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for the feedback. That will bring an end to Rewind a Dynamite. Uh, so keep it open for uh, the British Wrestling Experience on Thursday. Beto and Martin will be joined by uh, J.P. Houlihan from the Grapple Spotlight podcast. And then... Friday night, Way and I are live with Rewind to SmackDown for all patrons at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time. The big countdown to the Royal Rumble continues. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I believe you can enter right now. 
um, if you're a patron of theirs uh, or a world champ level patron of theirs. So, yeah. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up the show, everybody. Uh, postwrestling.com is where you can go check out all the latest news, reports, podcasts. It's all there. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll speak with you Friday night after SmackDown.